Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. He takes being cook to a whole new level. These students can't afford to feed themselves. Do the best you can for your child. And you look around for support and there's nothing there. Just get up and do our best today and that's all you can do. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan On Cork's 96FM Morning all It is uh, Thursday why am I stating the obvious? Because maybe you haven't looked at your smartphone yet to tell you. We have become so dependent on our smartphones. Read a very interesting article recently on how people are starting to give them up, put them away, confine them to a drawer, or get rid of them completely for months on end. And later on in the morning, I'll be asking you, and indeed we have someone in this very building who gave up on their smartphone and went back to the old Blockia Rockia a couple of years ago and said, do you know what? It's much better. So it's a it's a growing thing, a trend now, that you, people are giving them up. So I wonder, could you give up your smartphone? Like, how many hours in the day do you use your smartphone for? And what are you using it for? Like, is it everything from your newspaper to your television to your uh, telephone to whatever? But could you give it up? That's for later. 0818 96 96 96. And we shall have some fun with that. But your your newspaper... Oh, yeah, and there's something else as well. I remember we are talking to Niall Conroy on Monday and he's... Dr. Conroy, and he's looking to get a, a passport for his one-year-old son so that they can come home from Australia and they're caught up in a huge backlog of applications. There's 113,000 passport applications backed up now in the system and there's just ridiculous stupid delays. You can get a passport renewed online in two or three days 
but it's taking months to get new ones, particularly for babies and young children. And there's a call, the examiner's reporting, that they want the passport office to open and run seven days a week and to be printing them off seven days a week. And of course, with us all being able to hopefully travel on holidays again this year, it's becoming more urgent now. Like if you want to go on holidays to, to Tenerife or Santa Panza in June, you'd actually want to be applying for your passport now to have a chance of getting it. That's for another another matter for later this morning. But the big story in the news is this report from CAMS in Kerry. Now, we've talked, I don't know how many times on the programme about child and adult mental health services better known, or child and adolescent mental health services better known to you and me as CAMS. Uh, and it's got a huge number of branches around the country, 70 different branches of CAMS around the country. But a report has come out, a damning report has come out over over pre- about the over-prescribing of drugs to children in a CAMS unit in Kerry. And it was done, all done, by one doctor. And the report that came out, many people are very, very angry about the contents of that report. Some people are saying that it should be handed to the Gardaí now uh, because of what is contained within it. And while some of the parents whose story is told in that report are saying, come here, it can't end here. That's not enough now to tell us what happened and who did it. We need something to be done about it. I've been speaking with Morris. Morris, your boy is one of the children affected by this. Um, And tell me about him. Tell me what happened. How did he come to be involved with CAMS in the first place? Uh, basically what happened was is that uh, when Jason started to walk and talk um, he was banging his head off walls and he had um, he'd see no danger he was hyper so we got in contact with a crowd called the early intervention team in Clowney yeah now that's when he was about two and a half three years of age now and he was with them until the age of six now, they stop seeing children at the age of six and CAMS take over. So CAMS then diagnosed him with ADHD. And that's how he became uh, a member of the, of the CAMS. And the, and the reason that I know so much about it is because I have three children besides Jason that were with CAMS for nearly 20 years. So I know the kind of running of it. I see. So when he got the diagnosis or you were given the diagnosis, was it at that point that they began to medicate him? At that point, they started to medicate him with a drug called Equism, first of all. Right. And um, he was on, I think it was 20 milligrams of Equism at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that done good for about maybe two, maybe three months. And tell me, what effect would that have on him then? Well, basically, if anybody knows ADHD children or anything about it, well, we can process one thought at a time. Hmm. Every thought they have, another 10 
jumps in on top of it. Yeah. So it's kind of a jumble in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And with the medication is supposed to calm down the brain and let them process one thing at a time. So that's why the medication was there. Now, um, we done that for about two, maybe three months. And then that started to kind of wear off him. So then they tried him on Concerta, which is the same type of drug, but a little bit stronger. And then they tried him on uh, Medicinet. And then we found that Medicinet. You see, uh, prescribing these drugs for children is, as one doctor said to me, it's trial and error. Right? Because some drugs work on some children. Other drugs work on other children. So it's kind of trial and error to see. And and Morris, you you, were, you understood that when you were told it, like that that something. The hope is that something will work properly, and he'll settle with that. His, you were okay yes. with, yeah. I I was okay with that because I don't because I don't I had already three boys gone through the system already, so I was kind of all right with that. And uh, then I suppose what flagged me with this doctor is that first of all his age right because the first time I met him I said look doc I'm too very young and he says I may be young but I know what I'm doing sorry was it the same doctor all the time no 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 um, the doctor that we were dealing with the first with Jason first of all left hmm. and then we had a second doctor who only lasted a couple of months and then we had a third doctor who only lasted a couple of months. And they kept changing doctors all the time. So you didn't know where you were with them. Yeah. Right? So then I think it was uh, 2016 that this doctor came in. And um, I walked into the room and something did not sit right with me at the time. Why is there not a social worker here in the room with us? Because when I had my other three boys, that was common practice. Hmm. So we just continued. And every visit then we had, Jason was getting hyper and not concentrating in school. So then he turned around and he said to me, he says, I'm going to put him on Concerta as well as Medicinet. And I questioned this because I said to the doctor, I said, look, I said, Concerta and Medicinate, why are you giving them both of them when the, one, when the two tablets do the exact same thing? So he turned around and he said to me, the reason I'm doing it, he said, is because um, one is fast release in the morning and the other one is slow release in the afternoon. Okay. So that was plausible. Right? No, I've never heard of it before. As I said, I've gone through the system before, but I've never heard of a child being on two medications. Right. But you were right? prepared to give it a go. I was prepared to give it a go on his on his word. Do you know? So and and it kind of made sense to me because in the morning when he took his medicinate, he was he sorry, take his concept in the morning, he was um mellow. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, and then in the afternoon it would wear off, and he get hyper all the time inside school, 
which they which they couldn't handle them. So it made sense then to me. Yeah. What age was he at this stage? Uh, Jason would have been about uh, eleven or twelve, uh, about about eleven years of age. But he was on the Equism Concerted in Medicinate. Then he was on the Medicinate and Concerted together. So, so this had been going on for a number of years. Yes, right. this okay. has been going on for a number of years with this particular doctor. And you began to notice particular changes in his behaviour. Yeah, uh, the the first thing I noticed was his lack of sleep. That's the first thing I noticed. And I brought it to the attention of the doctor the next time I was up there. And he prescribed a thing called Menetona, which which, uh, relaxes the mind to go to sleep. You can buy it in the chemist. Yeah, melatonin, I think they call it. Yes, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he gave him that to calm down him by night. So uh, that went on for a while. And uh, now you're talking about... And, and did, did it work? Did the melatonin work? It didn't work at all. No, I stopped giving it to him after three nights. You know what I mean? Like, But I mean, like you have to remember now that these visits were between six months and maybe a year before you'd actually get a visit from Gans. Right? So you're talking about a six-month, maybe to a nine-month period while he's been on these tablets before you'd actually get another appointment. I see. I see. Right? So this went on anyway. And we went up for a visit, um, I think it was 2019, uh, 2018, we went up for a visit, 2018, 2019. And he turned around and the doctor said to me, Mr. O'Connell, I think your son has autism. Okay. Right? So I turned around and I said to the doctor, I said, listen now, I said, as far as I know, CAMs do not deal with autism. You're quite right. They do not. So I turned around and I said, that means that he will have to go to a multidisciplinary team. And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, will you set that up? And he said, I will. So he said in the meantime that I will prescribe this drug for him. And I said, what is the drug? And he said it was respiratone, right? So I've never heard of this drug before. So um, we were talking and I said, what exactly does this do? And he turned around, he says, well, this helps with ADHD, right? So I took his word for it. So I said, so he's going to be on three medications now. And he said, yeah, we tried for a month. So we tried it anyway, and I started noticing that he was he was stuck to the fridge. You know, like eating constantly. Then I find found that he he wasn't smiling like he used to smile. And little things like that. Then I then depression. Then waking up in the middle of the night with, with nightmares. So I brought all this to the attention. And the next bit, now you're, you're talking about now another six months of a visit. So we brought him back anyway. And the next thing was, is I said it to the doctor, but I'd, I had also looked it up online. What the, what the uh, uh, respiratory doll was for. 
So I went into the the chemist in in my hometown, and fair play to the pharmacy. He questioned me. He turned around. He says, "Morris, are you sure that your child should be on this?" And I said, "What do you mean?" And he turned around and he said, "Do you realise that this is for schizophrenia, bipolar, and severe autism?" He says, "It's an antipsychotic drug." So I nearly fell on the floor when I heard that. So I came home and double checked on the internet, and that's exactly what it was. So I went, rang cams, and and he said, "I'll give you a visit in four weeks." So, in the meantime, my pharmacy actually rang the doctor to make sure he didn't make a mistake on the drug. And the doctor told him, "No, he made no mistake on the drug." To give out this drug to my child. How how was Jason's personality? I, I think you said it was changing all the time here. Like yeah, it changed completely. Whereas he was an outgoing kid, he'd go to the beach with us. He'd go on car rides with us. He'd do everything with us. And then he started changing because his weight was getting heavier and heavier. His depression was getting worse. He wouldn't. His anxiety was through the roof. He could. He wouldn't go to the beach and take off his top because he was afraid people were looking at him. He wouldn't go into the shops because he was nervous of people around him. And this is from a bubbly child. Yeah, and and he used to talk to you about it, Morris, didn't he? he used to. He wanted to know. He he did. He ask you to take him off the tablets. Yes. He turned around and he said to me on a few occasions, Dad, can you please not give me the tablets because my mind isn't right and I feel sick. That's exactly what he told me. It's heart-wrenching. Do you know, because you're trying to balance the good with the bad. I thought I was doing him good. Yeah by the recommendations of the doctor. Yeah. And I was telling him that this was for his own good. I know. Do you know that he needed an education, that he needed that he needed to be in school. He needed to learn and not be expelled all the time. You must have been very worried yourself, Morris, were you? I, I, well, once I heard that, I was very worried. I was very worried about Jason and his health. And like, and, I, and even though he's still off the tablets, I'm still worried about the effect that it still has on him. Yeah. yeah. How old is he now? He's 14 now. Okay. And, and how long is he off the Risperidone? He's off the Risperidone uh, April. Right. And has he other meds at the moment? No, he's no meds at all. None, none. None, none at all. And, and how is he now in himself? Uh, he's not great. I mean, like, he's like... This respiratory it repressed his emotions. And basically what's happening with Jason is that he didn't know what's right or wrong, basically, because I feel that this medication has brought him back a few years mm. because he can't show his emotions anymore. 
But it's only now his emotions are coming out. I know. Like the, the crying, the anger. Do you know what I mean? Like the depression, the anxiety. That's very hard to deal with when you're 14. And the other thing about it too is that because of his weight, he's been bullied. Oh. And then he's reacting badly, not in the way a normal 14-year-old would do. But he, but he'd re, he would react um, in inappropriate ways. And people can't understand that. I know. And Morris, when you see the report that has now come out, uh, which confirms uh, that this level of medication was being given out uh, to, to not just Jason, but to other kids, how does that make you feel? Well, to tell you the truth, I was absolutely bullying when I heard that there was no extreme or catastrophic harm. Yeah. No, that's that's in the report. No, I mean, like, from a medical point of view, they might not be for them. But if they spend one week or two weeks with the families and live their lives, they'd know what catastrophic is. Yes, there's no arms, there's no legs missing. But their mental health is paramount here. And this is one thing that I don't see in the report is what the medication has actually done for their mental health. And this is why I say, and other families, I mean, like, there's mothers that I've talked to they are crying today over this report because they are guilty. They feel guilty of what they've done to their children. Like, I feel guilty for what I've done to my child. But you were only doing what the doctor told you to do, Morris. But that know? still does not stop your guilt. Yeah. Do you know, like, it's because your first job as a parent is to protect your children from all harm. But you'd never expect it, the harm to come from a doctor. Mm. And yeah. then you have down the page, or the next page to this, that this doctor meant no harm and that he'd do it again. And on top of that, the supervisors of this doctor should have flagged this ages ago. Yeah, yeah, I think you're very critical of the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't picked up. No one seemed to be monitoring what was going on. Or at least that's how it appears. That's exactly what it says. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, like, it's, look, it's fine and well to make this fella a scapegoat. He's 80% responsible for what he'd done. But the other 20% has to go to the supervision. Whoever's in charge of him, they are culpable as well for what he done. And there's no doubt in that mind. But I can tell you, uh, PJ, the day I was called in, I was rang on a Friday by the doctor. This is the doctor then who, if you like, blew the whistle. Yes, this is the doctor that blew the whistle. And he said, will you bring Jason with you? And I said, I will. So, and I brought my daughter as well. She's in UCC and she would know better than I would. Okay. Uh, a lot of the words that the doctor would say, right? So the next minute he said, Mr. O'Connell, I bad news for you. 
And he turned around, he says, your son has been over-medicated. Well, I nearly went through the floor. I, I said, what do you mean that he's been over-medicated? He said he should have never been put on these type of drugs. Okay. So the next thing anyway, my son turned around and says, doctor, can I ask you a question? And the doctor said, do. And Jason turned around and said to him, am I going to die now? Oh, God. Right? That was his exact question to the doctor, am I going to die now? And the doctor said no. And how did and how did it feel to you sitting next to your son knowing that this was going through his mind? Well, first of all, I was going to break down in tears, but then I couldn't because of I had to stay strong for Jason himself because of exactly what he just said. I had to, we, myself and my daughter had to reassure Jason that he wasn't going to die. Yeah. And once he heard that from us, he was happy about that. Yeah. The, the whole experience, Morris, uh, has led you to... You, I, am I right in saying you yourself were in the industrial school sis, systems, so you know a bit about state institutions? Well, I mean, like, the first thing that, that comes to mind, right, yes, I was in industrial school in Tralee called Nazareth House, and we believe we were clinically tried as well. Do you know, with the formulas back in 1968 and before that, when they were first coming out, that they were tried on the children. Mm. And I know we used to get injections that nobody knew why we were getting injections. You mm. know? So that's the first thing that kind of came to mind. Was Jason used like I was? And do you know something? Times... Time may have changed, but the system hasn't. Yeah. Under a different name. That's 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 all that uh, that has changed in all these years is the name. The same abuse of children is still going on. Yeah. Yeah. Now that the report is out and now that everybody's talking about it, uh, and the Taoiseach, I think, has said that it's time to review the workings of CAMS all over the country, and and indeed, you know, I've taken many calls on the programme from parents whose children were involved with CAMS, some very good experiences, some not so good. Do you think at least it's time to, to look at the institution and make changes? Well, I mean, like, this is the only bad experience that I've had with CAMS yeah. in 20 years. And I will say that. Do you know, because I mean, like, I can't paint every one of them up there as bad. No, and in fairness to you, you've been saying that this is just one individual, one doctor. But exactly. The, but the implications of that doctor's work for your boy were... Were catastrophic, to use the words in the report. Yeah. Do you know, and this is, this is my point. I've often heard the secretaries over-talking up there, saying that they were understaffed, under-resourced, they weren't getting enough of help, and this is the outcome of it. 1,500 children over-medicated by one junior doctor. But that still begs the question, 
why was he not supervised by the bosses? It says there in the report that the man did not know his job or words to that effect. Now, PJ, if you did not know your job, would you be on the radio? No, no, no. No, no, no. exactly. Do you believe that people need to be answerable for this, that it doesn't, it shouldn't end with this report? No, it shouldn't end with, uh, with this report. And it shouldn't end with that doctor either. This should go all the way to the top of the HSC and to the mental health services. And bringing this, and I know they're saying that this doctor is independent, right? But I believe a public inquiry has to come out here. And I'm calling on Stephen Donnelly to bring out a public public inquiry into this. Because I still feel that this report, I believe they're backing their own people again. That's my opinion. Yeah. So what, now that the report is out, and to finish up with you, Morris, now that the report is out, and now that the Taoiseach has said we need to look further into CAMS, what, what should happen, do you think? I think, first of all, is that the Taoiseach neglected to give an apology to the children. That's the first thing that, that should have been given there. Stephen Donnelly should have apologised, so should the Taoiseach. That's the first thing I would say. Yeah. The, the second thing I would say, the HSE have already apologised, but I, as you know and I know with the HSE and the government, this will be like the industrial schools. They'll drag it on now for the next 10 years before they'll do anything about it. And I'm calling on the government and the HSE to give us peace now and let us get the resources that, that, that we need for our children. There's a lot more to be done rather than just publishing this report, Morris, as I think what you're saying. I, I wish you well. I wish Jason well. And, and thank you for speaking with me today. No problem, PJ. Thank you uh, for listening to me. Your thoughts, 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. In the afternoons on Lee Side, you gotta be with Cork's 96FM, right? Oh, God, yeah. Brilliant tunes and a bit of crack. Why do I feel like I'm talking to my friends? We actually bought a radio just to listen to you. And I'm always good for a giveaway. Well done! Thank you! Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4pm on Cork's 96FM. Yes, some of the findings in that report. uh, 227 children which were managed by this one doctor between July 2016 and April of last year had a diagnosis or treatment that exposed them to significant harm. Clear evidence of significant harm to 46 children. Evidence of inconsistent and inadequate monitoring. But the report said it was a reasonable assumption that the doctor was intending to help and not harm. 
but there was no consultant clinical lead for this junior doctor, which meant there was no oversight of his work through formal supervision or indeed through joint work. Those are the basics of what's in the report. Now, Sinn Féin TD, Pat Buckley, joins me. Pat, I know you were looking into and you raised in the doll some stuff that came up on the programme yesterday. I'll get to that in just a sec. But your thoughts, Pat, on this report. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thanks for having me on. Uh, my initial reaction to this, PJ, was absolute disgust. I cannot believe in 2022 that, that we know how bad the mental health services are. But to find out that these flaws are just unbelievably, you know, willy-nilly. Um, I read that report. I read the synopsis of the report. And, you know, there's certain words in it that really disgusted me. Yeah. And, I mean, look, as a parent, and you're doing your best, and you're at a very, I suppose, volatile stage when you have no control of your child and you're trusting the system, you know, to make things better. And this comes out, uh, it just makes belief. And, I mean, look... I didn't have much time uh, at us yesterday in the chamber, but I'm certainly going to follow up with yeah. the HSE and the minister because, to be honest with you, I know it's maybe not, not any consolation to families, but heads will have to roll. The days of nobody being responsible, nobody being accountable, that has to go, and it has to go. I think now, the stark one that, that jumps out to me, Pat, having, again, like you, read the synopsis and read as much coverage as I can get my hands on, that even this, if, assuming that this individual doctor meant no harm let's assume that give him that benefit he wasn't being supervised no I mean look I don't know are your, are your listeners aware but the doses that were admitted to these children were adult doses that's correct that's so correct. It's, it's totally inept I mean it absolutely boils my blood okay. to think that you could put trust in the system and this is the way you're treated okay. I mean I'm sure you covered, you know, the, the side effects of these, um, you know, antidepressants, whatever you want to call them. On, I mean, on, on many occasions. And, it's and absolutely horrific. I've spoken to many parents whose kids were put on risperidone. And you know what? It works very well for some people. I know adults who've had it. It works very well for some people. But in this particular case, it didn't work well for this lad. And there was no supervision of the prescription. Pat, the things that came up on our programme yesterday, as I said to listeners, have been coming up for, for years. Uh, children waiting inordinate lengths of time for all kinds of services, for, for, for autism services, and in one case, a child waiting for uh, um, circumcision for two and a half years, and he, and he screaming in pain every time he wanted to go to the toilet. Like, it's not good enough, Pat. You raised it no. in the door last evening. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, look, it's shocking. I, I can remember a case uh, a number of years ago, a 13-year-old girl was actually using cams, but somebody in the wisdom decided that this child may have um, some kind of autism, i.e. bipolar or something. So that child had to go for another assessment. Now, in this country, if you have any form of autism mixed with mental health, there is nowhere in the top two counties where you can get help. Correct. So they have to go for an assessment. That child did our leaving cert and never got an assessment. That's how broken the system is. Mm. And if we're talking about disability service, they're non-existent. You know? And we hear about early intervention. There was no intervention for these people. Yeah. And I mean, I have, I have, I did have a private meeting last night with uh, Minister Mary Butler, and I'm going to follow it up with uh, Minister Rabbit as well, because I, th- I think this is no pardon the pun, but this is the straw that broke the camel's back. I, I'm just in 
absolute awe and shock that people can be treated so um, disgustingly. We've known for years, Pat, and those of us who, I mean, as I said, my, my listeners know, I, I'm a parent as well who had a small boy in the system. He's an adult now, a grown man, thankfully doing very well, but he had him in the system for years. I've spoken to parents who have children in the system, and they all tell you the one thing. When you get the service, the service is great, but getting it is the problem. Yes, and that's correct. I mean, there's fabulous people that work within the system, but it's accessing the service is, is near impossible. And look, I, I've listened to many witnesses' stories on this. And you know what was really heartbreaking, Peter? I worked with Cueven O'Quillan in the last term on mental health and disabilities. And we'd um, family groups, basically family groups are all in the same situation that kind of got together trying to help each other. But he came into us for a meeting one time, and even now it still upsets me. Children maybe 15, 16 with possibly severe autism and their only option when the child kicked off, right, for their family's safety and for the child's safety was to put them into an Alsatian cage, you know, the large dog cages inside in their kitchen or sitting room until the child came down. You know. And that's a, that's, that's a reality. And I mean, as I said, these people are the most vulnerable. And yes, the state and the government just totally ignore this, you know, and say it'll go away. They put the onus in on the families to try and mind these kids, and they're struggling. There's a knock-on effect in that thing. There's a financial strain. There's a mental strain. And then they're scratching their head in five or six years' time, going, how are all these families so damaged? Yeah. It's been going on for way too long, Pat, and I don't know if anybody can do anything about it, certainly in the short term. But... uh We'll come back to you again and see how far you get with, with pursuing it. Uh, uh, Pat Buckley, Sinn Féin TD for Cork East. Thank you very much. 0818 96 96 96. I must be distraught listening to that man. I just don't know what to say, says a caller. What a fantastic father Morris is. My heart is broken for him. Great interview. This country is just so corrupt and messed up. My heart is shattered listening to the opinion line, says CB. That poor child and his poor father. Uh, yeah. And Kate, I work with children with special needs. There wasn't one mention of looking at the diet of these children or their exercise. Nothing natural. The doctor just drugged them and drugged them. It's an absolute disgrace. I see children playing in the park. That's what children need to be doing. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10 with Griffin's Potatoes. Make the perfect chip at home with their chipping potatoes. Once you taste them, you'll be back for more. Now in store. Corks 96FM. So welcome on that whole story of the CAMS report. And again, look, it is in Kerry, but CAMS is all over the country. And the Taoiseach has now advised that everything be audited within CAMS. 
that's one of the reasons we're so interested in it because I've talked to so many parents over the years whose children are involved with camps and some of them had very good experiences and that must be said. 0818969696 Just before I go to anything else, you see where plans to expand the pennies on Patrick Street? They've now been delayed. There was plans to make it the huge pennies even huger, if huger is a word. Well, the council has requested further information before making its final decision. The store would have been taking over an entire block. Well, the council seemed to be concerned about the image or the impact it would have on heritage sites and they've put another letter in asking for further information from, from pennies. In the meantime, while we wait for all that to happen... Uh, our reporter, Moraid, has been asking shoppers around town what they'd think about a bigger pennies. Pennies, hun. Well, I feel like I'd be waiting a lot longer anyway. There'd be uh, far too many uh, times that my mother would drag me in there anyway. And I'd be waiting outside, sitting around. She won't leave me go anywhere else because she can't trust me, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I think the expansion's a great idea, you know, obviously if it's going to bring more jobs into the city, that's a bonus. I myself work in the city centre and I often find myself saying, you know, I'll just run in and grab something. I have a young son and, you know, they, they have a lot of practical things and I buy a lot of his stuff there. So, you know, what's better than a bigger pennies? It probably doesn't really matter to me, but I know when my wife goes in there, I, I certainly won't be able to find her in there because she'll get completely lost in there so my wife would be delighted anyway no doubt not a big shopper of pennies anyway but it would be interesting to see what kind of departments they'd expand on with the bigger store so yeah I'm looking forward to it on that aspect I love going into pennies we went to Birmingham one time and my husband and my daughter came as well and they have the biggest pennies ever you saw in Birmingham. So I bought a newspaper, gave it to my husband, sit down there, I said, and read that outside Penny's door. Then I had to go down and see what's the alright. Then I had to buy another newspaper because he had the first one read. So that's how long it took us to go around Penny's. I think it was three stories <laughs> as far as I can remember. It was just absolutely huge. Uh-huh. I just love Penny's. Doesn't everybody just love pennies? Thanks, Moret, for that. 0818 96 96 96. Earlier in the week, I was talking to Senator Malcolm Byrne, who is bringing through legislation that would, if it works, enable councils to use drones and to use CCTV to catch fly tippers. And we were talking about why do people dump and how does the council clamp down on people who dump illegally. Councillor Joe Kavner, the Cork City Council already has a, a, a way that it tries to find fly tippers, doesn't it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thank you for uh, get, allowing me on your show. And uh, yeah, we Cork City Council um, uh, pre-COVID um, were, were, were undertaking a campaign of um, you know engaging with local community associations and engaging with local residents and just spot checking, you know, various locations, various housing estates, etc., um, that people had uh, approved um, refuse disposal mm. um, 
providers, etc. You know, and knocking on doors, listening who collects your rubbish. It's whoever, Country Clean or Wiser or whoever, mm. and uh, and um, that's fine. And if somebody didn't have an approved uh, and like the council would only go into these areas now if there was an ongoing problem to be honest with you in the area yeah. of, of fly tipping and an illegal dumping of rubbish but look PJ at the end of the day the vast majority of citizens in our city are are abiding by the regulations and the laws it just takes a very small minority of people to make the place uh, look very dirty etc yeah. you know yeah. and unfortunately we need people need to take personal responsibility really and pride in their, their, where they live and to be fair Joe I think most of us do as you make the point but oh, absolutely you could drive out any any country road and you'll come to a corner yes. and there's an old sofa or a discarded television or, or rubbish Correct. bags from the kitchen and that yes. just ruins it for everybody and it, it seems to me anyway in talking to Senator Byrne the other morning that there's more concern about GDPR and the rights of the dumper than of actually sorting the problem out. Yes, I, I do agree. I do agree fully with you, PJ, to be quite frank and honest with you. And again, it goes back to the point. It takes a very, very, very small minority of people to make an issue of this stand out so much in our countryside and indeed in our city. I mean, I'm going out next Saturday litter picking. Yeah. Uh, with my local community. And I guarantee you, we collect 20 bags of rubbish yeah. on a stretch of road. Yeah. And look, this is just simple, empty coffee cups, empty plastic bottles, empty food wrappings, things like that, just discarded at the side of the road. Um, and it, it just accumulates uh, right across the, the public realm and the city and out in the countryside as well. You can put drones up, uh, but they're an expensive thing to put in the air, right? Drones. It's an expensive thing to manage. But how do you know where to put them and when to put them up there? Yeah. 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 You know, and that's the difficulty with this. And, you know, it, it all goes back to every single citizen in our country and our cities to, to take personal responsibility for that little sweet wrapper that you have. Yeah. You don't just leave it on the ground. PJ, I'll tell you, I'll just give you one quick example. I know you're pressed for time. Right. I was out uh, litter picking last Saturday week uh, at the side of the road and I was sweeping up uh, some few bits of rubbish that we picked up and throwing it in plastic bags. And whenever way I looked across the road, there was a guy sitting in a public area having his breakfast, mm-hmm. which is fine, perfectly fine. And I carried on up the road cleaning and litter picking and so on. And I came back. All the food wrappings, all the empty cartons, all the bottles and the papers. This guy just got up, walked away and left him at the side of the road. And there was a, a flock of crows came in and mm. were just dismantling what was left. This that kind of mindset, PJ, we need to work on in, in terms of awareness. But you're talking a very small minority, PJ. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a bin nearby as a matter of interest that this guy could have put his stuff oh, in? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. A bin. There was a bin within... It was a bin within 20, 30 yards, 20 yards less. You have to, you have to ask yourself, Joe, like, what's going on in that? In that to, yeah. You know, like you said, I mean, there's, I, there's nothing nothing more enjoyable than having your breakfast in a park of a nice morning. But pick up the rubbish. A wonderful sight to see, PJ. A wonderful, and we should all be doing it. Yeah. Put your stuff in the bin. You ha- you have to wonder the, like what how, do you, do you have to yeah. hold them down and shout at them put it in the bin. 
it's, it's, it's about it's about awareness, PJ. I mean, you could you have people coming on and saying to you, "Oh yeah, there was only two fines issued for dog fouling. There was only two fines issued for littering and so on." But that's all very well. But you can't have a litter warden standing on every street corner twenty four seven 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 days of the week, uh, or a dog warden or whatever. On the subject of dog fouling, just briefly, yes, sorry, Joe. On the subject of dog fouling, we've got about one minute. Where are we yeah. with this? Because it's a huge problem. And every time we talk about litter, the, the calls come in. You need to talk about the dog falling. Well, the dog falling, uh, the dog falling awareness committee uh, met uh, met this week actually, and uh, yeah, the campaign has started. Twenty twenty two campaign has started again. Again, exactly the same scenario. The vast majority of dog owners are law abiding. They pick up after their dogs. Five or ten years ago, PJ, nobody picked up after their dog. No, they do. And that's a credit due to the vast majority of dog owners. It takes a very, very small minority of people to actually, and dog owners, who are irresponsible and allow their dogs to deface public walkways and public green areas and sports fields, etc., which is a huge problem. So I would appeal to dog owners to pick up after your dog and put it into the bin. And any bin will do, by the way, PJ. And that's a very important message to get out there. Any bin will do. It doesn't necessarily have to be a specific dog falling bin. Once it's in a bag, put it into a bin. All right. Okay. Leave it there for now. We'll talk again. Councillor Joe Kavanagh, who apart from sitting on the Dog Falling Awareness Committee, is also very active in his own uh, tidy towns and he knows the extent of our litter problem better than most. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. You see, some attitudes are kind of part of the problem. John was on to say, it's the council's job to pick up the rubbish. That's what they're there for. Yeah, John, but there's a bin provided. So why does this guy get up from the table or the seat he's on and instead of just walking the 20 yards to the bin and putting the remains of his breakfast in there, he decides to chuck him away and let someone else come pick him up. That's just ridiculous. Thanks, John. Hi, if someone breaks the law, then their right to GDPR should be invalidated, says Craig. Oh, oh, try that one, Craig. Try it. I'm not saying I disagree with you. I actually agree totally with you. But just try it. 0818 96 96 96. Still loads of people reacting to our interview with Morris about his son's experience at the hands of the doctor in CAMS. I'll come back to those comments in a little while. Um, and also we will be putting up a podcast extra of that interview after the program remember your full show goes up as a podcast every afternoon in or around the half two three o'clock mark you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts but we do also take selected parts of the show every day and put them up as a podcast extra and you can follow them on the app or wherever you get your podcasts if you're subscribing to our podcast which of course is completely free if you're subscribing you will get everything 
as it comes out. 0818 96 96 96. I mentioned this at the top of the programme. I just did a list here. Um, so, obviously, you've got the radio. Where is in one place your diary, your camera, books, newspapers, a tape recorder, a sat-nav, music, radio, and television if you want it, as well as your phone and your text messages. It's your smartphone. And I'm wondering, could you actually do without your smartphone? read a very interesting piece about people who are giving them up and going back to an old-fashioned blocky rockia or something similar. We've got a couple of them in the... Well, we've got one in the building, and he's in the newsroom. Pierce. Hey there. You gave up a smartphone and went back to a blocky rockia for a while. Yeah, I did for about two years. Why? Um... I'll tell you why now. I was kind of, for a while, I had felt trapped with the phone. That it was constantly on social media, constantly checking the phone and ultimately was very bad company. So uh, there was one night over the jazz weekend a number of years ago and I was walking up by St. Finbar's Cathedral and there was a bus stopped at the lights and I, whatever look I gave, everybody on the bus, including the bus driver, were down looking at their phones so that was the first thing, and, and Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall. You know the video, that kind of, mm. that image popped into my head. And then I'd say about 30 minutes later, I was walking down Dunbar Street, and there was a cab pulled up next to me, and there was four girls in the cab, all on their phones. And I had this vision that the girl in the front was putting up a post, and the three friends in the back were all liking and commenting on it. And then I kind of thought to myself, it's killing the art of conversation. So... I ditched it. I got a 15 euro phone. Uh, All I could do was text and make calls on it. And I was never any happier. I got an awful slagging like, but yeah. But yeah. Sorry. How how does a working journalist do without a smartphone in 2022? I know. Well, I had an iPad that where I have access to my emails and all that. So, you know, so, I mean, I was able to access it at, if I was at home or if I was in work or wherever. Yeah. But in general, what it meant was if I was out on a night out or I was out with friends in company, you got my full attention. Yeah. Fiona, could you live without your phone? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Pierce is a dinosaur. <laughs> no way, I could not live without my phone, PJ. Um, like, I was looking there that the average screen time for people is four and a half hours a day on their handset, and I'd say I could easily put that amount of <laughs> hours into the phone, and that's a combination of work and personal time. But even, um, like, I know that I am actually on my phone way too much. My husband has always given out to me about it, mm. and it was him who made me get a smartphone in the first place and I'd say he ruined the day but um, even when I decide if I'm off and I'm not working that I'm going to you know not go on social media um, I still use my phone for payings for stuff now I never bring cash with me I use the, the phone all the time I use it for listening to music and podcasts when I want to relax I use it for taking photographs so I just have it all the time I couldn't yeah. live without it no. I just did that list while ago like of all the things that it's useful for and and the camera obviously the phone and the text radio it's my my phone is my radio and um, you can watch netflix sometimes it's my television too my music on spotify and and there right sat nav <laughs> my phone is my sat nav mm-hmm. you know if i got to do an interview at short notice somewhere it's my tape recorder i read the newspapers first thing in the morning when i'm going around the house oh yeah you know 
Um, Mary Jane says here, PJ, imagine when we were in school, the teachers told us we wouldn't always have a calculator on hand. Ha, look at us now. And I can completely relate to that, Mary Jane. I can't add two and two together now. <laughs> I use my oh, phone. well, I think, that, well, I think I, Pierce, I, and I, I'd agree with you. And just in terms of the, the job all three of us have done over the years, yeah. I can remember going back pre-smartphones, I had a thousand phone numbers <laughs> in my head at one time and I could recall them like they were... Mary had a little lamb. Now, I can barely remember my own number. And you see, there you go. I think we've relied on these smartphones that our memories, things are just fading away. Like, when I, when I was growing up, I always had this ability to recall so much stuff. Now Google is, is my brain. Mm. Like, if you only you're younger than we are, right? You can remember a time when you had to use your memory. Is your memory gone a bit oh, off God. because of your God. phone? But then that could be from having kids as well. well. There is that. There is that. It's tiredness. So I need my phone because I've got no memory anymore. Yeah. Now, I may, now I may add, PJ, I, I, have, I have a smartphone again, but it's a really cheap one, but I have no social media on it. Right. I you, only, I, the only reason I went back was for WhatsApp because yeah. I was missing out on being in contact with with friends, yeah. I wonder could any okay. You've you've done it, so and I could Fiona, do, I'd, I'd gladly do it again. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah, it was great. It was like, very liberating. When I go on holidays, um, I would always for the first two or three days, phones in a drawer and it's gone. But the problem is now I bring my music everywhere with me, so the phone is out for music. It's almost it's become an extension of my hand. I have an Apple Watch, so when my phone is in my bag and I don't want to look at the messages oh coming in, I can see it all. See, you're taking oh it to God. the next level. Oh God. You're one of these people that goes in and buys a bag of tomatoes, a loaf of bread and a pound of cheese, and you go, your watch up against it. Oh, my God. Dinosaurs are not extinct yet, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> we just put it out there. Could, could anybody do without their smartphone? If we were to bet you, if we were to bet you, could you do without your smartphone for 24 hours? Could you do it, Pearson Fiona? Thanks, thanks a lot. Yeah, that that um, that article I had in my hand talks about a woman called Dulcie Cowling, who said her moment of truth was when she was at a playground and every single parent, instead of watching their kids, were on their phones just scrolling away. And then a guy, a Scottish guy, called Alex Dunedin, now, he takes it to a whole different level. He says. They're blunting cognition, impeding productivity, and culturally, we've become addicted. Right? He said, my thoughts are freed up from constantly being cognitively connected to a machine that I need to feed with energy and money. I think that's the danger of technology. They're emptying our lives. Could you ditch your smartphone? Is there anybody listening to me on a Nokia Blockia? who's never had a smartphone and doesn't want one. I'd love to hear from you. 0818-969696. I remember, this is a story now, from when I was back in the courts. This is a few years ago now. And, and one of the press crew, one of the gang that always followed the court cases, was Jonathan, actually, Fiona. Jonathan, our pal Jonathan Healy. Jonathan arrived in with an iPhone. He had the first iPhone in the press box. And I looked at this thing and I thought, what an awful looking yoke. First of all, it's too big. And secondly, that'll never take off. Now, how wrong was I? But is there anyone listening to us on a Nokia Blockia 
or something similar who would never go to a smartphone or who gave up their smartphone. You may have to text us in a normal text on 083 396 96 96 and the number will work 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Yeah, Kev makes the point. We had a very quiet show if people didn't have access to so many ways to communicate. That's true, Kev. That's true. I'll give you that one for nothing. 0818 96 96 96. I'll come back to your thoughts on mobile phones in a sec. Also, lots of responses still, and I will get to them. I promise I'll get to as many as I can of them, of responses to Morris and the story about his boy, Jason, who was caught up in that over-medication scandal in CAMS in Kerry. And I might ask uh, my next contributor a little bit about that as a, a working family doctor, maybe what he thinks of what's in the report in just a second. But I'm joined by a counsellor, Dr. John Sheehan, John, you're saying that some you're hearing of people buying cannabis off the streets to use as a painkiller, and it concerns you. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, no, it's not a huge number, PJ, but I suppose it just wanted to highlight the the issue because this has been cannabis has been has been shown to help with with a number of symptoms such as nausea, with chemotherapy, some chronic pain, people with multiple sclerosis, and many other conditions. And it has been approved in Ireland, but the difficulty is, in terms of accessing it, it's very, very hard and very, very difficult for patients. And now I'm not saying we should be giving it out willy-nilly, but I think we need to look at the criteria for people who maybe are attending pain clinics, that there's a criteria for it, that they know the pathway in terms of accessing it, because we've had a number of patients who are attending pain clinics or they may be waiting for pain clinics and they've had to access uh, cannabis to help, uh, help their symptoms a number of different ways, either buying it from someone on the internet or from some, of the, from some of the shops that are nearby. And the difficulty is they don't really know what they're buying, they don't know the strength, they don't know is it going to interact with their medications. And really, I think as, as a society and as a health service, PJ, I think we could do a lot better. The, pro- the provision of medicinal cannabis, it's, it's a long-standing argument now in in the country, John, and we all know Vera Toomey's story, and indeed there are others around the country who have gotten access, and and the the relief is incredible. But you you quote you're quoted in the Echo was mentioning, for example, multiple sclerosis, where at times there can be severe pain, and the cannabis correct, yeah. has been shown to work. It certainly does, and if you go to other other countries such as Canada and you know a lot of the states in the in, in the U.S. and um, you know you can go in, you can get a prescription, you can you know there's a criteria, you can you you can buy it, and 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 it takes it out of the shadows, and that's really what we need to do. You know we don't we don't need to be forcing people to go in trying to find things surreptitiously, trying to make the argument, and then they have this sort of effect of guilt or shame or people who've never done anything like this before having to do this. And that's that's not appropriate, you know. So um, I would like to see it a bit more open. I would like to see a criteria for it. We'd like, you know, that the criteria is broadened and that people can sort of say, well, this is another thing that we can use. And the biggest problem, I think, with cannabis, PJ, I think is the name because it carries loads of baggage with it. It yeah. was called something else. You know, like other medication, I don't think we even probably be having this discussion. Yeah, yeah. If someone comes to you, John, with a very painful condition, 
and says to your doctor, nothing that I'm taking is working. And if you have a good sense that medicinal cannabis might help them, what's the process? The process is really, it it has to be um, organized to a hospital consultant. And I can see see and understand the logic for that. Um, But then, of course, the difficulty is you refer someone to a pain clinic they could be waiting two, you know, a year, 18 months, two years for a pain clinic. And in the meantime, then you're trying to increase some of the other medication that they're on, a lot of which has other side effects. I mean, you know, there's, there's a payback with mo- most medications, whether they're anti-inflammatories in terms of your stomach and your kidneys yes. and things, or whether they're opioids and all the difficulties with that. Um, you know, so there are paybacks with the other medications as well. And you're trying to juggle all that then while people are waiting to get seen, you know, to, to try to relieve their pain. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're being woken up very much to the OxyContin scandal through that marvellous show. I don't know if you've seen it, Dope Sick. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's just... By the way, John, the, is, is OxyContin still prescribed in Cork? In Ireland, indeed. Oh, it is, yeah. But, but, but the rate of prescription here is just a fraction of what it was in, in, in the US, uh, PJ. It was, it was just marketed so heavily. And one of the issues in the US is that there's direct marketing to the public so you know before the news and in the evening you would have like tw- you know ads upon ads for for for, for medication and mm. it's completely over marketed um you know and that was one of the difficulties in in, in the us you know mm. and the culture i think tends to be much more immediate tablet focused and mm. you know when I, I worked there as a gp for a few years and um you know, it was very much heavily promoted and heavily, uh, you know, marketed at people, uh, you know, as if this was not going to cause any problems. Yeah, yeah. Like, come back to the cannabis. So, now that we are licensing it for certain for certain conditions, are you saying that it need, access needs to be made more easy for those? Like, if you know, if someone comes into your surgery and you know that for, they have a condition for which they can get medicinal cannabis. Are you saying you should be able to write the prescription yourself for them, John? I, I, I think what we could, ideally what we could do, PJ, is we could do a part of a management program. So say, for instance, we might, you know, I think it should be linked in with the hospitals. I think it should be linked with one of the consultants who may recommend it. But then maybe there's an, a, a nurse practitioner and there's a criteria for patients so, uh, who might be eligible for it. So I might see a patient, they've tried this, this and this. They haven't really worked. The next step then might be to try cannabis. I consult, say, uh, you know, maybe one of the nurse practitioners who's allied with one of the hospitals. This is a criteria, right? We're going to try this. So it's supervised, it's managed, it's not willy-nilly, but there is an access and a pathway that you could, uh, you know, could could use it. Yeah, it needs to be made a bit easier. John, as a family doctor, um, can I ask you your thoughts on the CAMS report from Kerry? Mm. It was fairly shocking, to be perfectly honest with you. And um, you can only imagine the the angst and the the shock for parents, because you know anyone who's had to bring their child to CAMS and go through all that process, it's an incredibly stressful time, you know, for <clears throat> in terms of anxiety and worry and things like that. And really, CAMS, you know, of all the specialties, they need the multidisciplinary team, they need the psychologist, they need the consultant, they need, you know, the therapists, all of the social workers, all, um, all of that. And for most people who are going to CAMS, it isn't medication. And then if it is medication, it's, 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 it's strictly monitored, you know, and they're reviewed on a very regular basis. This will be my experience in Cork. 
And, you know, to see that where, you know, people were put on, and particularly young people where they're developing and growing, to be put on medication that really wasn't appropriate, wasn't suitable at all, it must be very, very shocking for, you know, and distressing for, you know, for the patients um, and and their parents, you know, because you have all the guilt factor then, should, did I do the right thing? Should I have done something else? Should I have spoken out more? Um, you know, and... Um, it just shows you, like, there's a shortage of child child, child psychiatrists anyway. But um, you know, to, to have someone like you know, uh, the situation in Kerry, where really the lack of supervision, the mm. lack of planning, and things was was shocking. To be perfectly honest with you. Okay, John, thank you very much, Councillor Doctor John Sheehan. And he said it's only a few people, but he has heard of people buying cannabis on the streets to cope with pain from conditions that. We now accept, or medicine now accepts, medicinal cannabis, THC-based cannabis, of course, not the CBD, which is perfectly legal to buy in most in a lot of shops. The THC-based cannabis products, that they are very helpful for this condition, and John knows it. And as a GP, he can't prescribe it for them. They have to go through a whole rigmarole with pain specialists and hospitals and all that. Look, for example, right, I have, from 30 years of hauling disco gear and speakers and amps and that around the country on dark cold nights and hauling stuff upstairs and down through dark Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Yards and cold nights. I have arthritis in various parts of my body from all of that. And I took CBD for the summer a couple of years ago just to try it. And you know what? It did work. It absolutely did work. Now, there's a THC product that I could apply to, for example, I have a very painful thumb from arthritis. It's a constant thing. I could apply that to my thumb and it would be brilliant. But the rigmarole that I'd have to go through, even if it was approved. Ah, yeah. Thank you, John. 0818 96 96 96. On cams, we're getting a lot of responses. I'm delighted you're highlighting what's going on with Kerry cams and glad there's to be a national audit. I hope it sparks an investigation into adult dosing as well. 
Personally, I doubted my need for medication and eventually working sensibly and responsibly it came off. All of it was very hard, but my issue was not a mental health one at all. Doctors are too quick to reach for a mental health diagnosis. The amount of drugs leads on to and the efforts required to get off them is beyond words. What happened to the doctor in that case? Uh, We're not actually sure what his status is and what will happen next, so best not to speculate on that. Listen to that, gentlemen. I realise I had a lucky escape with my own son, who has autism. When he was in third class, he lost full-time access to his SNA due to cutbacks and was left without an SNA as she moved to different classes. The school's answer was to self-diagnose him as having ADHD, bringing in CAMS, who then advised we medicate him. We felt as parents they just wanted to medicate to keep him quiet, as there was no resources in school to help him. We made the traumatic decision to move him away from his friends and that school. His sisters were in a school that did have the resources, and to say we made the best decision ever is an understatement. Today he's in fifth year in mainstream and has never been diagnosed with ADHD despite being referred for such. Listening to that man on the radio, how lucky are we as a family? We didn't accept the advice and medicate my wonderful son. Catherine says, incredible interview, that man was crystal clear when describing in huge detail every step of what happened to his 14-year-old with the overprescribing of medications by that junior doctor, something that should never have happened in this day and age. It's unbelievable. The HSE needs to seriously address these issues, ASAP. It's shocking that this doctor went unsupervised for so long. That father's an amazing man. You could feel the love, anger and distress he's in over what happened to his son. Yet he explained everything so clearly and so precisely. An amazing man, an incredible interview. I'm late starting work, starting work as I didn't want to miss a word. Let's hope he and others can change the system by sharing their personal stories and campaigning to prevent anything like this from ever happening again. Thank you, Catherine. We all know about it. We're all so sad, but please let whoever's in charge have the time to sort it out now that the report has been published. And there are loads of them, loads and loads of them. Uh, loads of them, oh, people responding to Morris. As far as mental health is concerned, we don't have a country. A country would take its responsibilities seriously, tell Morris. He's a beautiful man. And there are more, and I will get to them. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. West Cork Music is delighted to shine a light on West Cork's brightest talents through its latest Resound series. Among this year's exciting lineup of West Cork musicians are Molly O'Mahony, Eve Clegg, Brian Casey, Kate Little and Mike Geeney. The performances take place in venues throughout the region, including Bantry Museum, Christchurch Glandor and Baltimore Castle. Access all areas. Cork's Jack O'Rourke is set to play songs from his new album Wild Place this Saturday evening at Cypress Avenue. The songwriter has just been nominated for a choice prize for Song of the Year and there's limited tickets left for the show taking place at 5pm at Cypress Avenue. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas Your guide to nightlife on 
Today we were talking about the cost of groceries and everyday items for the larder going up. Um, but you see loads of posts every day about people's electricity bills going up, gas bills going up, oil, for example. But electricity and gas would be the big two. And before Christmas, I, I sat down for maybe an hour. It takes an hour to an hour and a half once you've all your bills in front of you. And I moved and I put everything through bonkers.ie. And I have no idea yet how much I might or might not save, but a lot of people are doing it. And Dara Cassidy is communications exec with bonkers.ie because Dara, at a time when utility bills are going up and for the foreseeable future are only going to go up, now providers like you, and there are a number of them in the market, what can you do and how do you do it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, well, you're right that energy bills, in particular gas and electricity, are absolutely skyrocketing. Um, last year, there was over 35 price hike announcements from the suppliers in the market, and some suppliers raised prices five times. So gas and electricity has never been more expensive, unfortunately. So if people think their bills are going up, they're absolutely right, because they are. But there's a few simple things that people do can do to try and reduce uh, the, the burden of, of increasing bills. And the first thing, as you've alluded to, is to switch supplier. And uh, it's really, really quick and easy to switch. It can all be done online. It's genuinely one of the quickest and easiest bills to switch and one of the easiest ways that you can save yourself some money. And um, at the moment, somebody who switches on average could save around five to six hundred euro a year. But someone who switches from maybe one of the more expensive suppliers uh, to one of the cheapest could save themselves over a thousand euro. So there's big savings to be made and I can't overemphasize enough to listeners that you know if there's one year or one um, you know winter where you don't want to be overpaying for your gas and electricity this is the winter and there's still big discounts out there for people who switch because they all offer new customer discounts to entice you to, to, to switch as is always the case the best prices are reserved for new customers so yeah. you know switch and save would be my mantra for listeners. It was the way we did things, though, for years, Dara, isn't it? You you found a provider that you were happy with and you just paid them every two months. And it went up, it went up and it might come down and you saved and you looked at you, you managed the bills. But now a lot of people just can't manage the, the new bills. No. No, no, they can't. And particularly poorer households and households on lower incomes who spend a disproportionate amount of their money on on gas and electricity and on heating their homes and keeping warm, they're going to be pretty badly affected. Um, according to the, the, the CSO, the Central Statistics Office, gas prices, natural gas is up about 30% and electricity is up about 23%. To be honest, PJ, I think that maybe slightly underestimates the increase. I think we'll see that increase in the CSO figures over the coming weeks. Um, some analysis we've done has shown that some suppliers, particularly the smaller ones, um, but some of the bigger ones as well, have announced price increases of up to maybe um, you know, 50, 60, maybe even 70%. So when people get their next bill over the next few weeks, some of them are going to be in for an absolutely you know, huge shock. Um, but, but, but just quickly, and, and again, you kind of alluded to it that you know, we often used to stay with the same supplier year in, year out. There's a lot more choice out there now with the electricity and gas suppliers, but particularly with the electricity and gas, you know, it's not 
not going to look any different or feel any different, no matter who you're with. Um, it's not like maybe health insurance or maybe you know shopping where you might have a favorite brand or you might want a particular type of service. When it comes to gas and electricity, it should mainly be about price because your kettle is not going to boil any different or your heating is not going to feel any warmer, regardless of who's supplying the gas or electricity. I think a, a lot of people are only coming to realize that now because it used to be the case that if you had to move supplier, well, first of all, there were no alternative suppliers there. And then mm-hmm. there is an impression that, oh God, I have to be writing to them now and I'll have to be getting forms to fill and I'll have to, be, I'll have to come to the meter and all that. And it's more trouble yeah. than it's worth. Now, how does a company like Bonkers, and there are other uh, suppliers there, but I'm picking on, on you guys because I signed up myself, to be honest. How does it work? How do you operate? So it's it's very, very simple. So when you go on to our website, so we're accredited by the CRU, which is the Commission for Regulation of Utilities, so you know you're getting it good service. Um, we have a list of all the suppliers that are operating in the market. So all you need to do is put in a few details and um, you know, give us a name of the, the, the supplier that you're with. If you can give us a name of the plan that you're on, that will also help. Uh, let us know a rough idea of how much energy you use. So that can either be in kilowatt hours or in euros. Uh, and then basically press one or two more buttons and then a list of all the options and all the potential savings would be displayed. And um, it only takes really, you know, two or three minutes to fill in the form. It's really, really quick and easy. And then if you do want to switch to a new supplier, so if you do want to save, that can be done online as well. So you don't need to ring your old supplier and let them know that you're leaving or you don't need to write in a- a- any letters. It-, it can all be done online. All you need is um, a recent meter reading and also you'll need just to tell us the MPRN number of your property for electricity and the GPRN number of your property for gas. So they identify your, your property on the respective networks. And after that, you know, that, that's basically it. We send off the details within around maybe one or two weeks. Usually your new supplier writes out to you and lets you know important details such as your account number. And then your old supplier will send you a closing bill. And then that's it. And then we'd, we'd advise you to do it all over again in a year's time to make sure that you're on the best race. And the gas keeps coming in and the electricity keeps coming coming out when you put the, ket- when you put the kettle on. So, so I suppose, yeah. Dara, what's in it for bonkers? Because you ain't doing this for the good of your health. <laughs> we don't. I mean, obviously, we have ways of making money. We receive a very small payment from the suppliers when people switch through us. Um, that, though, doesn't affect the prices that consumers are shown when they go on. Uh, we obviously have a little bit of advertising on our site as well. But our service to consumers is, is entirely free. So whether it's broadband, we have a new mortgage broker service as well. We sell car insurance, home insurance. It's always 100% free to consumers. The only thing we charge for is a small fee for health insurance insurance because it's such a complex product and you need to sit down with someone and get all the information um, you know, it, 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 from an experienced person. So but, you're doing health um, insurance you, now as well? We do, yeah, we do that. There's health insurance, except car insurance and home insurance. I mean, obviously gas and electricity, PJ, is kind of what's on people's minds at the moment. Um, and that's probably one of our, you know, 
biggest sources of traffic to our website and our company where we can help people with lots and lots of other household bills and um, I'd really encourage listeners to you know review the mortgage review the health insurance it's a new year it's January it's a great time to do it because there is lots and lots of money to be saved and recent research and analysis that we did showed that a household if they were to switch their mortgage the gas the electricity the broadband and maybe their health insurance could save over 7,000 euro and um, so it's a huge sum of money you know um, and, and switching saves and businesses as you know don't reward loyalty I think Irish people in particular think that if they've been with their this company for a few years that they're going to somehow be treated better or treated more fairly that, that's not the case. The best deals, unfortunately, are usually reserved for new customers. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that when you've done all this, and I will, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this, Dara, because I've done it. It is easy. Uh, you, need about, you need about an hour and a bit of concentration, and that's it. And it, and it works. And, uh, but, but then again, will I be notified, or will anybody else be notified, when the deal I signed up for is coming to its natural end? So you should be notified by your supplier, but it's always a good idea to just take a note of the of the date so that when it comes around for renewal, you know um, if you're going to lose your discount. But your supplier will usually write out to you and they'll clearly tell you that your discount is coming to an end and that you're maybe reversing to standard rates and that mm. this is what your new price you, will be. You have a right but to that I, communication, I don't you? Um, well, the, the supplier usually would, and uh, but, but I would always recommend people just to make a note in your diary, whether it's on your phone or whether it's in you know a notebook that you use, uh, to just keep an eye on it so that you're aware of when the rate okay. might go up because the, the, this, the discounts last usually for only a year and they can be anywhere from maybe 20 to 40 percent. But after a year, the discount ends and usually you get bumped onto the supplier's standard rates. And there's about probably 50 to 60 percent of the population that hasn't switched in about maybe three, four, five years. So we know from research that about maybe 20% of people okay. switch gas and electricity every year. They're on a good deal, but it's a big cohort of people who haven't yeah. switched in ages and who are missing out. Question that's just come in, Dara. I was told that I have, because I have a pay-as-you-go gas meter, it would cost me €200 Euro to have it removed if I change supplier. Are there issues like that and can you get around it? Um, good question. Unfortunately, no, that's a charge... Uh, from Gas Networks Ireland, and it's unavoidable. Um, so if you are moving from pay-as-you-go gas to a normal bill pay meter, that charge does apply. Um, I, I get that it's frustrating, but th- 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 there's nothing that can be done at the moment. I would say to people, if they are thinking of going on pay-as-you-go, whether gas or electricity, it does tend to be more expensive. I get that people like not having an extra bill. People think that they can control it better. I understand that. Um, but it does tend to be more expensive because you're paying a higher unit rate and you're also paying a rate, a, a daily rate for the, the standard meter and on top of that another rate for the prepay meter so it tends to work out quite expensive OK, listen Dara, thank you for that Dara Cassidy, a communications exec with Bunkers.ie There are other providers out there doing that kind of job and they are regulated and they are watched but I did it myself at the end of the year and I'll keep you posted during the year as to whether I'm saving money or not but I think I will I think I will and all I did was I used to have electric and gas from two different companies. I just moved them to one, and I did it in an hour. So we'll see what happens. Imagine having a busy, packed, highly successful career. Really busy. 
And then imagine that you make a catastrophic error that results in the death of your child. And imagine if you are, in fact, a pediatrician, a doctor. That is the central story of a new book called Breaking Point, written by Adele Coffey, who joins me now. And that, Adele, is what befells our heroine here, uh, Susanna Rice. It's a desperately tragic story, but it's kind of the thing that could happen to anybody in a successful, successful career. Good morning. Good morning, and thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, and that's kind of exactly where the idea for, for the book came from. It was this feeling that, um, you know, life is so busy. Um, I, I'm the parent of uh, four children, and at the time that I was writing the book, they were very young. There were four children under six. And I just had this feeling of, um, you know, uh, being so busy and so incredibly um, at the sort of edge of my contingency that every single thing had to run perfectly in order. And if something fell down, the whole house of cards would fall down. And um, I just, I really wanted to look at that um, way that we're living now because it wasn't just my experience. And I don't think it's just the experience of people with children either. Before I had children, I I worked in the media and I was a very busy journalist. I juggled a lot of different jobs and I always felt sort of like I was under pressure. And don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed the pressure. And that's another story altogether. (laughs) But um. But yeah, I think it's just a way of life for so many of us now. And I think when you add in something like kids and the expectations that we all have of ourselves now that, you know, it doesn't matter what your how many demands you have on your life. The expectation is you'll just keep going. And the expectation is perfection. Yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah. There's another character in this then is the journalist who investigates the story. And she, too, has a crazy busy life. Yeah, and and again, it's just, I mean, it is kind of the norm now. And I like it, it, when you say it like that, it does sound like yeah, they're both <laughs> these crazy, busy, workaholic women. Um, and that is not based on myself at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, she is really busy as well. But she's busy for a reason. She's using her work to escape. Um, her past, yeah. which we we won't mention too much about, but she does have this past that she's trying to run away from. She doesn't want to deal with it. It's a very emotional sort of experience she's had in the past. And she just wants to bury herself in work so that she doesn't have to deal with which, it. Which, but of course, probably people when she encounters Susanna... There are, there are real people, sorry to cut across you, there, there are real people that could identify with both Susanna and with the journalist because, well, how many people are throwing themselves into work like Adelaide to escape things that aren't so pleasant at home? Oh, absolutely. And sometimes it's a great thing. You know, if you go through, say, a difficult breakup, you know, you have your work and your friends and you think, okay, I'll keep busy and that way I'll get through it. But I'm a big believer that... um, you know, you can't really run away from yourself. Wherever you go, there you are. And it's not, you know, it's, it wouldn't be a means that I would recommend to kind of um, deal with something emotional. I think you, you always have to go through it, don't you, um, to get to the other side. So, yeah, I, I'm sure a lot of people can um, relate to that. And a lot of people are responding to it. Um, a lot of people are sort of talking about their own experiences. And indeed, when the news of the book, when the book was first sold a couple of years ago, when it first came out, I got a lot of messages on social media from people who said, 
I actually forgot my baby in my car. Um, now, thankfully, it didn't result in a tragedy or catastrophe, but a lot of people have done it. And the fact is, we don't really admit to it until somebody yeah. tells us they've been through this experience. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, there's there's people saying, oh, yeah, that happened to me. Um, so... Yeah, I do think that we have to kind of maybe open up a little bit more about our own weaknesses, about our own, what we view as failures. You know, often uh, often they're not failures at all. They're just uh, human nature. They're, they're just mistakes that we all make as human beings. And I think we have to maybe recognize that a little bit more. I, I Like perfectionism is a big hobby horse of mine. I really think that it's such an enemy of, of human beings. It's such an enemy of, of us living happy, mm. fulfilled lives. We well, think we have to be perfect, but did, really wasn't, being, wasn't, well, trying to be perfect uh, yeah. paralyzes you. It stops yeah. you achieving things. You know, it's just, yeah. it, it's a real enemy. And also it, it, it makes you feel like a failure a lot of the time, which is yeah. which is something that we, we can't really be happy feeling as human beings. Now again, it's, it's not a spoiler to say that as a result of this, uh, Susanna is investigated and she ends up yes. in trouble with the police. And that in itself mm-hmm. is, is a story. Are you, did you set the book out to tell a story or start a discussion, which, because you seem to have done well, both. You know, I know, and I'm delighted that, with the response. But yeah, I, I actually think I was trying to um, to figure it out for myself because I, while, while I wasn't thankfully going through anything as, as uh, traumatic or, or tragic as the story in the book, I was trying to figure out how um, parenthood was such a culture shock to me. You know, people told me it's it's difficult. People told me there'd be sleepless nights and, and I believed them. But I just didn't have any idea about how difficult it would be, how challenging it would be. And also there was... There's so much about trying to have it all as women as well. And I, I know men have this problem too, but particularly women feel this pressure to, you know, not lose pace in their careers because we all have careers now and we, we don't want to give up our careers. I certainly didn't. And I felt it was my identity that I was losing when I stopped working for maternity leave. And, you know, you just have this this pace that you want to give up with. And I was trying to figure that out. I was like, why have we not come up with a better system for for figuring out how we could all live a little bit, you know, better and we wouldn't have to be working, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week to keep up with ourselves. So I think that's what I was trying to figure out when I started writing the book. The other societal question, of course, that it seems to ask is, would we judge a man the same way? Um, Yeah, I think, you know what... I think things have changed a lot for men over the last, um, even over the last five years, but certainly over the last generation, I think men have, have different problems to, to deal with and to face and they, they come up against so much. I, I have a lot of sympathy for the gender um, expectations that men have. And I think they they seem to be getting worse. Like, I know this is completely off topic, but I've read a lot about young men having a lot of um, problems around their sexuality because of the amount of porn that's out there and that they're exposed to at a very young age. Mm. And even just, you know, the... Oh. Oh. It's falling off like it falling off a cliff. Sorry about that. Edel, anyway, the book... It's called Breaking Point by Adele Coffey. And it's it's a really layered story, but it's very, re- very easy to read. And you know what's going to happen in the opening chapters. You know what's going to happen to the poor misfortune, the child. But beyond that, it's not predictable at all. Super, super bit of work and very easy to read. And a great book by Adele Coffey. It's called Breaking Point.
0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. As you know, right across the country, people are outraged at the shocking death of Ashley Murphy in Tullamore. Change we know is urgently needed in attitudes towards women. It's longer acceptable for any of us to stand silent. Therefore, we must act now. Cork's 96 FM and the Irish Sun has launched a campaign asking you to call out unacceptable words or actions showing disrespect to women. It's only when we all act together we'll make a meaningful change. So please join us here at Cork's 96 FM and call this out. 0818 96, 96, 96. A few of you uh, can see exactly where the likes of Pierce are coming from with uh, no smartphone. I'll never get a smartphone. The three kids and the wife all have them and they're never off them. So many people now walking around and missing out on what's around them. I'm phoning you on a Nokia phone. I've no desire to ever get a smartphone. Do people not realise what they're missing out? All the sounds of nature around them. Bernie, thank God there's someone else thinks like me. Pierce, I'm mad about you. Phones kill the art of conversation and increased loneliness because anyone can be contacted anytime. But it's very superficial. It doesn't encourage you to treasure people. And Paul says, PJ, I read an article online yesterday. A married couple went to a tech-free retreat without their phones, of course. At the end of the week, they realised that after 10 years of marriage, they actually hated each other. But they'd been masking it with the phones. <laughs> they agreed to divorce. <laughs> Just shows the power of modern technology. Thanks for that. And here's one then on the opposite side. Anita, PJ, recently I looked back at a video of Steve Jobs, the inspiring Steve Jobs, introducing the first iPhone back in 2007. We watched it with my 10-year-old son, my son was born in 2011, so all he knows are smartphones. He was amazed to see this was revolutionary only a few years before he was born. He couldn't grasp that mobile phones once had buttons. <laughs> it's eye-opening to look back on something we now take for granted and how excited people were to have this product first. It's a choice to have a smartphone, so anyone who feels better without it can just use other phones. But we can't take away from the fantastic addition it has made to a lot of people's lives. It's all a balance. It's up to everyone to integrate the available technology into their lives as much as they would like. For example, I've decided not to be on Facebook or Instagram, etc., because I don't feel it adds value to my life. Still love my iPhone, though, as it adds to my life in so many other ways. And there's no way I could live without my smartphone. I'm blind. My smartphone helps me during my normal day to do things I'd find so much harder without it. In general, I feel people do use and rely on the way too much. That's a response to that. And plenty more coming in on cams, which I will get to, I promise. And on the Russian war games, Tom says, The fishermen 
are meeting the Russian ambassador. Shouldn't this be what Coveney does? His job is to deal with foreign governments in the first instance through embassies and to use diplomacy as he even has bilateral talks with Russia or did he just shoot his mouth off? Thank you, Tom. 0818 96 96 96. Are you an overthinker? Ask yourself that question. I think we're all probably guilty of it at some time or other. But are you? Are you an overthinker? And and because you're an overthinker, do things get overcomplicated for you? Because do you ever stop yourself and say, I'm, I really am thinking about things here that are never going to happen. I'm catastrophizing. I'm, 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 I'm thinking huge things. And sure, it's only a small little item. Do you do that? I think we all do from time to time. Jennifer Davy is a life coach uh, and specialises in overthinking and other elements of neuroscience. Jennifer, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. We all do it, I think, don't we? But what exactly is overthinking? I think overthinking for a lot of people is replaying or running over and over again a comment they might have made in the past or a conversation or a reaction they had to something. And the problem with it is that it is in the past. So there's absolutely no amount of thinking or redoing that can change that fact. And what happens for a lot of people, from my experience, is that by doing this, they are really eradicating their chance of being productive in their day, of being certain about the new decisions they need to make about their present and their future. And that leads to lots of negative self-talk, questioning of kind of self-confidence, and it really is like a poisonous effect. Like it's very, very damaging on the mind and the body. And so many of us do it. Like so many of us. And we do it without even thinking about it, without, without, you know, without being conscious of it. Yes, I think so. I think a lot of people, um, I know I used to do this, um, but they, they have, they're naturally kind of, um, they're naturally inclined to overthink. Now, what I mean by that is some people are highly sensitive people. They're very kind of like, like empaths is a term we hear a lot. They're very reflective. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with being reflective, being a deep thinker. But what can happen as a result maybe of pressures in life, overwhelm, maybe some anxiety or any other kind of challenge to our headspace, that those of us who are naturally inclined to to reflect on things can start to overthink. And when it becomes overthinking, it's running over stuff that has happened already. And that's the problem, you see, because we can't change it. Yeah, It's a complete waste of time and energy and it makes us feel very powerless because we're like oh I should have said that to her oh the next time that happens I'm going to tell her exactly what I think but you see we know in our heart of hearts that we can't change it so it just makes us feel that bit more uncertain that bit more um, self-confident and people who overthink in that way, they're a lot less um, likely to contribute at a, at a meeting in work. They're a lot less likely to be honest when asked their opinion. 
they're a lot less likely to actually say, no, sorry, you can't do that to me. I don't like it when you speak to me like that. Mm. You know? Yeah, they're, they're, they're self-conscious. Like, you take the, the, the work meeting. So if you're mm-hmm. at a work meeting and you bring something up and it dies a death mm-hmm. on the boardroom table, if you're an overthinker, mm-hmm. in six months, you might have the best idea in the world but you're not going to mm-hmm. voice it because the last one got trashed on you. Absolutely. And what will also happen then is you might have a great idea and you will sit with that for a couple of moments. But that inner critic yeah. will run into that situation and go, well, hang on, now the last time you said something, it absolutely died to death. And you really looked like a total and utter imposter. And you looked really, really stupid. So don't do that again. So that's what that's what happens. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So you that the, potential. There's another is, skill is is quashed. Yeah. There's another skill that I try. I think we all try, particularly in, in this line of work, when you 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 come across the most awful things that people have to go through in their lives. And if you took it all home, to drive you mad, you have to learn mm-hmm. to compartmentalize or to box off. And we don't spend time thinking about how to do that. That's a really good point. I mean, that's where that's where boundaries come in. And the word boundaries is kind of seen as a kind of a negative thing. If you're, you have notions, if you have boundaries or something like that, but that's not true at all. I mean, boundaries is just a kind of, it's a way of protecting your energy. It's kind of a, a line in the sand that you say, that's okay, but that's not. It's actually a very, very, very healthy thing. And I think the more responsibilities you have in life and the more people that you're responsible for, whether it be if you're a parent or a carer or a manager in, in an office, boundaries are important and when we don't have boundaries it's near impossible to compartmentalize things or to kind of leave things in the workplace or leave things in the home Mm. and what happens then is because we can't compartmentalize things everything becomes like a wash machine you know like when a wash machine is on that final spin at the end and it's like zoom 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 our heads are like that Mm. because we have work stuff coming into our minds at night when we're trying to maybe put the kids to bed and then when the kids are in bed we're saying jesus why couldn't i just switch off I really want to be present with my children. This is something I see a lot with clients. Mm. I really want to be present with my kids or I want to be present when I visit my elderly parents um, on a Friday morning, as I always do. But I can't because I keep thinking about this. And that leads to a lot of kind of bashing, you know, a negative self-talk. What's wrong with you? Why can't you switch off? So it's like a vicious cycle. You know, so overthinking and that piece on boundaries and, as you said, compartmentalizing and then the negative self-talk, it all kind of goes hand in hand and one kind of triggers the other. So we're in a kind of a spin. It it, it can make relationships difficult, too, in that if partners are or or even even colleagues are disagreeing on something, the, Mm. the overthinker, I believe, cannot keep the disagreement in the moment. And let us disagree about what's in front of us. Let's forget about something that we disagreed on six months ago or two years ago. Mm -hmm. That's gone. That's done. That's over. Leave it out. But the, the overthinker brings it back. Oh, completely. It never goes away because it's like, particularly like you said, a disagreement, right? 
um, or even just a different differing of opinions in, in the workplace that I would have seen, even because I was a secondary school teacher for 13 years up to recently. And I would see how even if you had a very strong student in sixth year and they would have a difference of opinion and a teacher who's not an overthinker would be able to enjoy this fact that they have such a strong student in their class. And that's a really good thing. But if you're a teacher who's an overthinker, um, you would make that mean something else potentially. So when you're an overthinker, you're replaying a conversation in your head. So not only are you not moving on from it, but you're attaching meaning to that. That's not actually true at all. So rather than saying, that's great that I have a student who had that very unique perspective on that Heaney poem, for example. Instead, you're saying, that student was trying to show me up. They, that yeah. person at the meeting was trying to make me look like I don't know what I'm doing. And you're attaching meaning. So what happens is not only overthinking a situation, but you're making all these assumptions that are not based in fact. Yeah. Or you end up and what happens? You yeah. end up catastrophizing, which is an awful oh, thing. Yes. Why do we do that? An awful why, thing. why do we do that? Well, I suppose you see the thing about um overthinking and catastrophizing, right? Is if you have a strong um confidence in yourself your negative your inner critic just won't get this airtime that it's trying to get so you're just like on your bike no that's not true off you go but if you're an overthinker you will let that in a bit too much and you will you will hear that a little bit so every time you have a good idea or every time you're about to say well done for doing that or but you're great like you're you know saying something good about yourself your inner critic will come in and it will just demolish that and you'll start thinking, what if that actually did happen? Mm. Oh, my God. And your brain, you're triggering it, you see. So that old brain, that fight or flight part of our brain will start to throw all these potential scenarios at you mm. because that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to protect you. Yeah. But because we catastrophize it, we're throwing situations at us that are completely farcical, that will never happen, that there's nothing in our actual true life that would make us believe that, that that thing we're catastrophizing could actually happen. So like I was saying a moment ago with the boundaries and the negative talk, it's a cycle again. So it's about being aware of what you're saying in your head. Mm. If you can be aware of those maybe patterns in the words or phrases that you use when you're overthinking, if you can be aware of those negative ones, you can stop it. Mm. And you can stop the overthinking leading to something else, whether it be catastrophizing, whether it be uh, negative self-talk mm. or how, however it manifests in a person, you know. Yeah. I, I think more and more people are overthinking in these modern days. But we're more enlightened days and we're looking to the past and we're thinking that was wrong and we're completely overthinking the whole situation. How do mm. We need to stop that. Certainly. And I think what, like anything, if we're going to go back and look at something, okay, that does nothing wrong with kind of, you know, you know, reflection on something. Mm. But if we're going to do it, then I would always advocate that we do it in a way that's purposeful, 
that's actually going to lead to some kind of conclusion. So, for example, rather than looking back on a situation or a comment that you made at a party in 1992 or something or a conversation you had with a parent that didn't go the way you wanted to go like 25 years ago or whatever, look at it and say, okay, what actually happened? And not how I saw it or how I experienced it, but what actually happened, what was actually said. And rather than saying, they shouldn't have done this to me or you shouldn't have done this. You say, what can I learn from this? What can I take from this? Because things like that will happen again in that people will challenge us again. Situations will push us to our limits again. So if we can look at past experiences rather than sitting in them and feeling all that nastiness that we felt and that unpleasantness that we felt in the moment, rather than sitting in that, we look at and we say, when or if that happens again, what can I do differently? Okay. What can I learn from what happened before? And you're looking at the experiences, but you're making it work for you. So you're not sitting in the old stuff. You're reframing it. Okay. And when you bring awareness to something, it's hard to unknow it. You know, when you know something, you can't ignore it. You know, so for example, if you knew, but if you know by looking back at something and you said, I reacted too much. I didn't give myself some time, a moment to respond. And that's what I need to do differently. I need to give myself a moment. And I don't mean that you have to say, look, I'm, I'm going to go for a walk now. Let's pause this conversation. I'll come back. I mean, literally just a couple of seconds to just breathe, mm. just breathe and think. And when we bring awareness to things like that, it really does make a huge, huge change. Okay. It really does. All right. Jennifer Davy can be contacted at wellbeingwarrior.ie. Thanks, Jennifer. 0818 96 96 96. We all do it. We all overthink. We all catastrophize. The difference between some of us and others is we can recognize it. Like, I'm glad to say I know when I'm overthinking. And I kind of say, stop it, PJ. Stop it. You're not doing any good here. And that's, that works for me. But when you try to say that to a friend, you're overthinking the situation. How do you know? Do you know? It's a plague. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The weekend. On Cork's 96 FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend survey. Have a go at the Wayne teaser question. There's the latest celebrity gossip. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. This is has been sitting in my comments since this morning and I just uh, apologise for the delay with it. This is person who was driving home on the South Douglas Road at 8 o'clock. I assume last night I assume last night, 8 o'clock last night or it might be 8 o'clock this morning, I don't know which. Anyway just passing by the old Nemo Rangers and I saw a bus driver stop the bus and get out and help an elderly man to cross the road. It was very touching to see. 
That's really nice. Uh, the bus man is struggling across the road, and those roads are very busy. Eight o'clock at night or eight o'clock in the morning, we don't know which. Elderly man trying to cross the road, having trouble. Bus man stops, gets out, helps him across. There's decency left, and a lot of it. 0818 96 96 96. Imagine having a great job with great prospects and decent money. And imagine packing it all in to go live in the country and do nature walks. Which is kind of what you did, Sarah Harrigan, isn't it? Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on the show, PJ. Good to have you on. You you kind of did what a lot of us dream of doing, but will be afraid of our living lives to do. Well, I was afraid of it myself, I won't lie. I, As you said there, I was living in Dublin and I had a great job with good money and lots of perks. But I got to the point where I started to feel like, you know, I've studied for years in UCC and Trinity. And am I at the point now, is this it forever? Do I just work in this office at this desk until I retire? And I started to really think, OK, I, I need to start exploring my other options. Because the rewards of the job and the terms and conditions, in some way, they weren't enough. What weren't? What what weren't they enough? I think for me, PJ, it was just that I got to the stage where I'd been working for maybe a year and a half in this job in Dublin, living in Dublin, you know, enjoying city life, and. I think what happens for a lot of people is that, you know, you go to college, your extracurricular activities fall off, you end up in the working world and you work nine to five all week and you might go out at the weekend and there's not a lot more that you do. And that was definitely me. And I got to the point where I realized, what do I even like to do anymore? You know? Yeah, I think a lot of people will identify to that because I think... Take my own situation. I finish here up a little bit early on a Friday and I'm gone and, okay, I might do a bit of work across the weekend. But in general, I'm sitting there on Sunday night at half eight and going, what happened? Where where did that go? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That was me. And I was at the point where I was like, I actually don't even know what I enjoy anymore, what I feel passionate about anymore. So I had to start from scratch and relearn, you know, have a real deep think about what makes me feel alive? What makes me feel passionate about something, you know? So who are gals gone wild then? So, yeah, I joined a group like that. I went back and I thought, you know, during my childhood, my teenage years, what really did I love to do before it all dropped away? And for me, that was camping and hiking and all outdoor activities. So when I was in Dublin, I decided, look, I'll join a few things in my community, see what I like, see what I might not like anymore. And for me, joining groups like Gals Gone Wild, joining as a volunteer, as a youth group that does some stuff outdoors, really was the kind of, I suppose, the light bulb moment for me of, wow, I feel so much more alive doing these outdoor pursuits versus sitting at my desk in my job, you know? Mm. And then you found a way. By the way, did you do your psychology in UCC? I did, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in UCC. You found, a, you found a way to take your psychology and bring it into the woods. Now, how on earth did exactly. you do 
How'd you do that? Yeah, so <laughs> so I stayed in my office job for maybe another year and a half, kind of plotting and planning, trying to save up a bit of money. I honestly didn't know how I was going to make it work, but I just felt I have to try something. So I started guiding hikes for a hiking group and I just was like, wow, this is amazing. I can see the benefit all these people I'm leading through the mountains are having for their health and their mental health and their connection to community. And I was like, okay, I have to be able to merge my background in psychology with the outdoors somehow. There has to be a way. So this is maybe three years ago and I came across this whole field of nature-based therapies. So there's lots of different words for it. Forest therapy, wild therapy, eco-psychology, all these different fields. And yeah, it opened up a whole new world to me. I did a good few courses. And then I'm at the point now where I'm running my own business called Nature Therapy Ireland. And the aim that I have is just to kind of share this with other people, that there's a free resource out there that we can all use to the benefit of our health. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, the psychology in you then. Here's something and okay, it's winter time now, so let's but in the summertime, nothing but nothing I love to do more than to go and stand on a cliff top or a mountain or even just a, a wall and look at the sea and breathe in the sea air. It's like it's it's like a drug. That's not a coincidence, you say. No, not at all. And there's so much research to back that up now, PJ. It's amazing. Like, you know, there's research to show us now that so say you might feel that connection to the sea. Other people might feel that connection to mountains. Other people might feel it, that connection to forests. And there's okay. lots of research to actually show us now that it's, it, it, it is actually scientifically proven to benefit our health and mental health. So yeah. that's it. I, I would walk along a beach all day or look at the sea all day for you, right? But I have no interest in woods or forests. Yeah, there's, yeah, there there's something out there for everyone. Wow. wow. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So in the sea, you have something called negative ions, and they've been shown to improve your mood, your overall mental health, have positive benefits for your physical health. And then in the forest, we have something called phytoncides, which is where forests release these uh, compounds into the air. And when we breathe them in, it can improve our heart health, boost our immune system, improve our sleep, increase our creativity. It's, it really is incredible. So you're now doing your psychology in nature and you couldn't be happier. Did you worry at all about giving up the permanent pension bill? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that wasn't an easy decision. And and, tell me, yeah. Sarah, had you people in your life who went, are you off your game here? Are you mad? Of course I did. Did you? Uh, <laughs> I was... I, I was one of those people too. Oh, really? <laughs> but um, I just thought, you know, if I don't try it now, I'll never know. And um, I was very lucky to be able to, you know, leave the city. I saved up a bit of money. I was able to leave the city. You know, I was running my business for a full year before I did that, uh, living in Dublin and working another little small part-time job to kind of boost my finances. But this isn't an option for everybody. I totally understand that. But I suppose what I would say to people who are thinking of something different is, you know, explore your passion at the weekend or after work and just see what makes you feel alive and you never know what what it might turn into okay listen good luck with it sarah thank you so much i think your advice to anyone is follow follow it if you can follow it follow it
Exactly. I think lots of pe- more people are realizing that now since the last two years. It's important to have things that make you feel good, no matter how small it is. All right. All right. Good speaking. Do you think it's in the success? That's Sarah Harrigan. I did psychology in UCC, went off to the perfect job in Dublin, the big job, the decent salary, the perks, the holidays, the whole. And now she does nature walks and she is happier than she's ever been. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Now there are daddies and mammies and grannies and granddads all around the city and county at around this time of the year would have been looking to take part in their local heat of the over-60s. And hopefully they get through that and they go to a semi-final and they end up on the stage of the City Hall. And it's a whole family event. It's not just the person who's the over-60s contestant. The whole family gets behind them and supports them. And due to COVID, we couldn't have it the last couple of years. Unfortunately, Paddy O'Brien, you've had to call it off again, my friend. I'm sorry to hear that. Good morning. Again, PJ, and thanks for your kind comments about the over sixes. And I, before I speak about the over sixes, I want to thank you personally for the great support you have given me down through all the years, supporting the local events and the final and what have you. It's people like you helped me to make the over sixes what it is today. Now, the bad news is, regrettably, the over sixties will not be held this year. The city hall say for the unforeseeable future. A booster vaccinations will still continue and on, on into May. So regretfully, there's no other venue big enough for me, so I put it back the next year, and I already have the city all booked for um, June the 11th, please God, next year, that we'll all be alive and strong, we'll all rock and roll again next year. Ever the optimist, my friend, ever the optimist, but yeah. because, it's because the vaccination clinic will be remaining there till the summer, you just have, and there is nowhere else you could go, is there really? Then there's, there's not really, and you know something, it's not easy for me to contact people because, and tell him the, the bad news, I remember 2020, I already held six local eats of the of the over sixties and I in turn then in March had to ring these people and tell them, Look, I'm sorry, there's no final, there's no semi final. And quite honestly, PJ, it was like telling them as if there was a bereavement in their family. That's so upset. Yeah. And um, I was speaking to a journalist yesterday at the Echo Breed Graham at the Echo and more or less what you just said there exactly. You're endorsing the sentiments I spoke about yesterday. It is a great, great family unit and it's a great, great family event and it gave me great joy and happiness to stand in the City Hall stage, look down at the families together. Yeah. Um, families and people came home from the, one family came home in about 15 years ago, the two sons came up from Australia, their father was taking part in the over 60s. Wow. One year the mother came home from Boston, their mother came, or their daughter came home from Boston but it's a great thing to look down and see people sitting down together and it was a great family occasion. And I caught the words of Bishop Buckley, who was a, a great supporter of mine down through the years. He said, the old sixties is about bringing communities, parishes and mm-hmm. families together. 
And it's I mean, all of that. That's that, 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 that what all about. It's all of that. Well, as I say, ever the optimist, my friend, the 11th of June, 2023, you have you have booked. Before I let you go, I know a lot of people will be inquiring, how are you keeping yourself? I am very well, thank God. And I mean, thank God, I got over the, the, my, my, my surgery. And thanks to, I'm saying this, I've said this to many people privately, the surgeons were great, but I trusted the Lord. So the prayers brought me through it. Amen. I was very ill. I spent some some time in, in hospital, and I got through it very well. Could I just say one thing again in relation to the over 60s? And every year there was always a great um, day, a great Sunday afternoon in Blarney Street. And we'd coincide. That was our Christmas party, the last, the last Sunday of February every year, um, organised by Tom Coleman. But, and we, we, we've organised the over 60s. I had a meeting with Tom Coleman yesterday, he informs me the great news for the people, people that that function will still go on at 2 o'clock on Sunday the 27th. We won't have any um, competition as such, but I'll be there and I'll have past winners of the overstates and we're going to have a great time. And it's, it is not confined to Blarney Street, it's for the city and there isn't any heat of the over 60s. I want to stress that. It's just the party is on, the singing is on, the dancing is 27th on. 27th of February. 27th at 2pm and it goes on to what they say Late. All right. Listen, Paddy, look after yourselves as always, my old friend. Uh, Paddy O'Brien, instigator and organiser of the Over 60s Talent Contest. Unfortunately, for the third year in a row, not going ahead, uh, thanks to COVID again because of the vaccination clinic at City Hall. But booked, the final booked, ever the optimist, for June the 11th. 2023. Thanks, Paddy. Quick reminder, our Premier League live show with Trevor Welsh, powered by Talk Sport. It's on a bit of a break at the moment. Uh, FA Cup fixtures are taking place and there's the winter break in the Premier League. But it's back on 96fm.ie on this 12th of February, which is two weeks Saturday. And live commentary from all the big games that day. The Premier League live online with now stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sport with an hour sports extra membership. And listen Saturdays on the Cork's 96fm app or go to 96fm. .ie back with live action on Saturday, February the 12th. I love talking about place names. There are some great place names around our coast and around our county. And you kind of look at a place. How did that place get its name? Particularly if they're in Irish. How did that place get its name? What does that name actually mean? Whether it's in Irish or English. There's a talk taking place uh, on Zoom, which I assume means loads more of us can get interest, get into it. Discussing the southwest coastline of Cork. It's organised by the Ducas Heritage Group in Clonakilty, and it'll be given by Jerome Lorden, who joins me. Jerome, good morning. Good morning, PJ. It's a fascination with place names. I know my old pal John Creedon wrote a book about the place names of Ireland a couple of years ago but you go somewhere and you how did that place get its name? Is that where your interest began? Um, not particularly no. My my interest uh, developed organically. Uh, sitting at the fireplace in the speckled door listening to the older generation who were first, probably first generation English speakers 
and they were mentioning, casually mentioning place names. And when I say place names, I'm not talking about toneland names. I'm talking about non-administrative names, like minor place names. Um, some some tonelands, for example, as a toneland in Connemara, it's 800 minor names. There are toneland's in my locality, and they would be maybe 150, 200 acres, and they may have as many as 30 or 40 um, surviving Irish names. You know, mostly coastal names and field names. Every single field in Ireland had a name at one stage. And every rock, every inlet, every cliff had a name at some stage. And who because named Because the them? world, people lived... Sorry? Who named them? Oh, the fishermen and the farmers named them. Yeah, you know, the people who lived and worked in the landscape. They reflect the people who live in the landscape, the place names that are found along our coastline and along in our fields. Yeah. Like your own business is the Kinsale Harbour Cruises, and I know when you go out on on the boat, there's any number of inlets and bays to be seen. Are you saying they all have an individual name that someone gave them down the years? Every single one of them, every single one of them, and um, you know every the, the minor place names are rarely used nowadays. Yeah, and but in the past they they were used because people lived in a local world. And uh, not a global world, so they knew their own world intimately. Yes, yes. And that is why, I suppose, the older people, when they were giving directions, they never talked about miles or yards or... They all talked about go down east past paddies and go, go up west and you'll find... They, their, their knowledge was based on the names of different, like you said, fields, inlets, streams. Now, for example, it's a big long deciphering the mind. Give me a place name that you'll be talking about tonight that we might have never heard of. Oh, I'm looking out of out my window, Troigadunin, which is a little strand below my own house. And uh, the reason it's called Troigadunin is because of the little fort on top of the cliff there one time. And it's, it's, it's on the archaeological inventory, but it's, uh, it has long disappeared over the cliff. So that uh, the place name there, for example, in that example, it's an indicator of archaeology that there was a fort once there, you know. There's a whole reading of history in these places. Absolutely. They give you a window into the past that you otherwise wouldn't have for a, any an area. If you take an area that has very little written history and you have, the, you have a lot of the minor place names in that area, you can build up a picture of what farming practices, fishing what fish may have inhabited, what the, the land was used for. You can, you can decipher all sorts of things out of it. Yeah. So it's a, lot of, it's, a, it's a window to hidden history. Yeah, and the history of the, of the language is contained in, in those little names too because the, the language went into decline, which was why an awful lot of us don't know anything about these names. Absolutely, and the places where the, the, where the place name, the minor place name collections uh, still exist and, and they're fairly good, you know, where there's good collections are places where the language existed well into the 20th century. If you take the eastern part of mostly the coast of Linster and Wexford and the north coast, uh, Irish place names, minor place names have, the vast majority of them have disappeared because Irish wasn't spoken there for a long time. Whereas in the southwest coast of Munster, all the way from Waterford, the western half of Waterford, all the way up to Donegal, um, Irish was still a living language there in the early part of the 20th century. Yeah. The talk is available on Zoom. I think you can still register for it. And Ducas Heritage, Ducas Clonakilty Heritage, 
Zoom.com uh, and you can register for the talk which is on Zoom tonight. Good luck with it, Jerome, and thanks for being with us. Uh, and he is the man behind the Kinsale Harbour ferries, which when the summer comes, get out and see it. It's gorgeous. 0818 96 96 96. Lads! Breaking news. Matty Coyleys is back. The most iconic of city centre chippers in Cork was Matty Coyleys in Mela Street. Now, Matty himself passed away quite a number of years ago, but Matty's is reopening. It is a spin-off, I understand, of the Blue Haven in Kinsale. And Chef Miran uh, joins me. A chef in a chip shop is, is, a, is a new concept on us. Uh, chef Miran, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, this is an exciting. What are you? What's what's going to be the new take on on chip shop food in Matty Kylie's? Look, to start with, uh, Cork itself is blessed with some amazing takeaways and huge fresh produce, and our ethos is to uh, bring in a little bit of quirkiness and to enhance the. Um, the offering and like you said before Metikailis is is a huge responsibility it's an institution itself and we are not trying to recreate that as no one could recreate that we're just trying to do our own spin as a chipper to make sure that we do justice to the concept and the product that we're going to offer now with the Kinsale connection and we all know just how good the food is in the Blue Haven you're going to be big on yes. fish what, what fish can we expect like <clears throat> Our traditional fish and chips will be uh, haddock, which would be caught in uh, Castleton Bear. And uh, our catch of the day would be from uh, what we could get as fresh as we can from Ballycotton Seafood. And uh, our seafood croquette is a mixture of uh, smoked haddock and hake. So it's as fresh as we can get. And it's all homemade. And the sauces are all homemade. And it's 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 our ethos to support local as a company in Blue Haven. Then that's what we're bringing in on table in, yeah. with the Kylie's. That, that that croquette sounds sounds gorgeous, chef. Like Matty's was famous for all sorts. Um, much Matty himself was famous for, for in his own right. But the pies, the <laughs> chips were were known for their quality. Like everything. What do you think would be the the biggest seller in in the new Kylie's? In our in our version of uh, Kylie's, what would I believe would be the star in the menu? Like everything is homemade, everything is excellent. But what I would believe is our own version of a chipati. It's like a posh chipati, where we have our homemade uh, seafood croquette uh, in between uh, two soft uh, cutbird sliced white pan oh. with some tartar sauce and a crunchy slaw with on top of uh, sitting on top of a bed of uh, fresh chips. Oh, oh, chef, I'm getting weak at the knees yes. here, weak at the knees. But, you know, the, the good old-fashioned chipper, it it kept us going during lockdown when the chippers were open for a takeaway. The good old-fashioned chipper kept a lot of us going and great to see they're still thriving. Yes, like pre-COVID takeaway has become extremely popular and again during lockdown uh, with the COVID itself, the... Um, the, all the restaurants have started doing takeaways and the standard has risen again. And after COVID now, we're still in COVID, but after the lockdown and all, now we still believe that the high quality takeaway food is here to stay. And that's probably one of the good things that we 
got out of COVID, I believe. Brilliant. When is Matty's open? In the next 30 minutes. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Chef, I'll better get about your day's work and, and the best of luck. Uh, re Thank giving so a new much. lease of life to a Cork institution. Uh, Chef Miran uh, from the Blue Haven. It's a spin off of the Blue Haven, bringing back the legend that was Matty Kiley's into the city centre. Um, yeah, Barry O'Mahony reckons Matty is still alive. I, I heard Matty passed away a few years. Is Matty, is the Matty Kiley? The original Matty. Is he dead or alive, lads? Could someone please tell me? Because I, I'd, hate, I'd hate to say he wasn't with, no longer with us when he was. But if you knew him, ah, he was a character if ever there was one. PJ, I did exactly what that woman did. I got a permanent pensionable job in a hospital, left after a year. I was doing the same boring job every day. People my own age, just 22, talking about their problems. Era, says I, feck that. Now I have a great life doing different jobs, travelling, and I'll settle down in my thirties. Life is good, says Anne. Nice one, Anne. And that's it for today. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.